I was going to pray that God would bring him a cute Cambodian wife, um, <laughs> but I'm praying that. <laughs> I just didn't know if it would be appropriate. Um, <laughs> let's turn in our Bibles now to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. As we're going through this book of 1 Peter, you know, the, the whole first chapter to a great degree was Peter talking about this elevated position in which we find ourselves, the, the special identity that we have in Jesus Christ, and how his word leads us in that. And he, he takes off that theme, and here in the... Okay, we're done. <laughs> okay, we'll start over. <laughs> for, the, in case, for the sake of the tape. First Peter chapter 2. In the first chapter, Peter talked about our identity in Christ. Now he begins to change the focus a little in these first 10 verses of chapter 2 because... He's dealing with something that we often come across in our lives. Although we know who we are in Christ and we know that he wants to build us up, the ugly fact of life is that our lives are often full of rejection. And though we see that God sees us in one way, the truth is a whole lot of people around us see us in a different way. And that creates so many of the problems that we have and that we carry throughout life. So here in this second chapter, he wants to give us a perspective on rejection, where he talks about the fact that Jesus himself understood rejection, and yet, look how valuable he is. And so he, he juggles two concepts here, the concept of rejection and the concept of the word that he uses for, is precious and valuable. And that is a, a seeming contradiction, and yet that represents, in a sense, the whole development of our lives as believers, where we begin from a standpoint of rejection and we discover through his word more and more what it is to be valuable, to be special. And so that's what Peter does here. And it's important for us to get this because. An awful lot of the pain that we experience in life comes from being rejected. In fact, an awful lot of the sin that we commit in our lives comes because of our sense of, of being rejected, sometimes from a very young age, and then in some ways trying to compensate for that or make up for it. And so, I mean, we all know, I don't have to dwell on it, there are some people whose lives are just one rejection after another. And it hurts, the word that he uses for rejection is a, is a word that means to assess something for its value and then to put it away from you. And we know what that feels like. Some people were even rejected by their parents and their parents didn't value them. Others have been in painful relationships because of that rejection that has happened. And you never really get used to rejection. You never really get to the point where it doesn't hurt anymore. You have a friend who 
turns their back on you and you thought they never would and you just go, oh, this is horrible. Uh, maybe you have kids who, I mean, you've poured your life into them and then at some point they just kind of turn on you and reject you or your parents or, you know, losing a job or do, there are all sorts of experiences in life that cause us to feel like someone looked at us, assessed our value and decided to discard us. And what Peter wants us to know is that Jesus gets that. He knows it. And remember in Isaiah 53 when it's describing Jesus as the Messiah who would come. And the, the, it, there in Isaiah, Isaiah says, you know, who has believed our report and whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? He'll grow up as a tender plant, a root out of the dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. When we see him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. Jesus understood rejected. John chapter 1 says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And Jesus, over in John 15, says to his disciples, People are going to hate you, and they're going to hate you because they hated me first. And so a disciple isn't greater than his master. So expect to be hated. So this is something that we are well aware of and he is well aware of it. But the perspective is everything. And so beginning with verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, Therefore, in light of what he was just talking about, which is the power of the word of God to work in our lives, and the value that we have in Christ, he says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So he starts off by saying, based on who you are, there are certain things that you need to reject. He's going to go on and talk about what it is to be rejected. But at first he says, if you understand who you are, there are certain things that you need to discard from your life because they come from rejection. When you look at these things quickly, malice, the, the Greek word there is just a word that it's the word kakia or from kakos. It just means disgusting or evil, anything bad. So it's a real broad term. And uh, deceit. Fooling people. Hypocrisy, pretending to be something that you're not. Envy, wanting what other people have. And all evil speaking, uh, literally what that word means is talking bad about other people. He says, discard that stuff. Reject that. Why would you reject that? Because all of those things are a fruit of someone who feels rejected. If I feel rejected... What's the logical, natural way that I'm going to talk about people? If, if they reject me, I reject them and I'll speak poorly of them. Somehow it makes me feel better if I put them down. The kind of malice, the word malice, the English word means to want bad things for people. But that happens when people want bad things for you. And you get into all kinds of disgusting behavior because that's what you feel you're worth. That's what somehow has been defined for you 
as who you are as opposed to who God says you are. And deceit and hypocrisy. Why do people lie? Why do people pretend to be something they aren't? Because they're scared to death of being rejected when people see who they really are. And he's saying, reject this stuff. Envy, wanting something that someone else has because you're afraid that what you have isn't enough. And so Peter is saying, lay that aside. Put it away from you. In the same way that he's going to say, you are rejected as Jesus was. He's saying there are certain things that you need to reject, and that is the logical result of feeling rejected. When you feel rejected, this is what happens in your life. But he says, instead of that, just like a baby loves milk, as newborn babes, he says, desire the the pure milk of the word so that you can grow. So if you're going to ever get from the place of feeling rejected to a place whereby you can grow into something precious and valuable, you start with the Word of God. And the reason is very simple, as he says here, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. See, when you hear the Word of God and you really understand what it's saying and what it has to do with you, you're overwhelmed by grace. And when you are overwhelmed by grace, you realize that you aren't who the rejectors think you are that you aren't what they tried to make you, they aren't the way that they tried to categorize you, that you're actually precious, you're blessed, you're valuable. You can't read the first chapter of 1 Peter without being overwhelmed. Now he's saying, just get the pure word. You don't need a bunch of other stuff, you don't need a bunch of other sources. The word in its simplicity, if you just read it, if you just hear what God is saying, it nurtures you like milk does for a child. It's something that you discover his grace. You, you taste it, and you want more. Now, that's if the word's pure. There are a lot of ways to present the word in an impure way, and it's real easy to tell the difference. If you hear the word and you're impressed with God's grace, that's pure, because that's what he is, is pure grace. Now, that doesn't mean that you're never corrected Because if you're doing something that's ruining your life, it wouldn't be a good thing if someone just told you, oh, you're fine the way you are, you don't need to change. No, there are some things that we need to change, but we need God to do that change. But the purity of the word is where that grace just comes forth. For many people, they shy away from the word of God because for them, the word just seems to be beating them over the head. Because... Sometimes they've heard preachers who the message is basically, I am up here and I am special. And you are down there and you are not. You are a bunch of losers. You're a bunch of heathens. You are failures. And the Bible proves it. And you ought to walk out that door in tears feeling horrible. And then you go, oh man, last thing I need to do when I'm feeling rejected is to go look at the Bible and have it reject me too to go to church and hear someone tell me I'm rejected there as well. And there are a whole lot of people who don't want to hear what God has to say because somebody has, in an impure way, presented the message of the Bible to sound like it's just another rejection of you. The Bible is something that presents that glorious truth that God accepts you, that he loves you, that, he is, that it's free, that he extends his grace to you. 
And so Peter, in talking about this transformation that happens, where we go from rejection and living like rejects, rejecting others because we've been rejected, coming to the point where we understand grace, it comes as God's word in its pure form is ministered to us. And now he goes ahead in verse 4 and he says, Coming to him, coming to Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he says you're coming to him as you come to his word, as you listen to what he has to say, as you learn from him, the pure word, and you discover his grace, you are connecting with someone who fully understands what it is to be rejected. You're coming to someone who knows what it's like to be judged by others, to be discarded by others. You're coming to him, but he is a living stone who was rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. So would you value Jesus based on how people treat him? <laughs> of course not. You go, he, it doesn't matter if everyone rejects him. He's so valuable, he's so special, he's so precious. And the word, the word for precious here, and I'm not sure why the translators choose that word, but it's the word that means honor put on a pedestal along with the prefix in. So it's like in honor. So precious, valuable, um, that works. But he's saying, think about who Jesus is. Incredibly valuable and yet profoundly rejected. And he says, you also as living stones... You're a part of this, and you're being built up in a spiritual house. See, what he's saying is, and Paul talks about this a lot in Ephesians, you are a part of what God is doing in the world. You're special to him. And in the same way that Jesus Christ himself is, and he's going to go on and develop this, is the cornerstone of the building, is the foundational piece of the building. At the same time, you have a place in what God is doing. You are precious even as he is precious, but you will also experience rejection as he did. But you get to, as a holy priesthood, and he's going to talk about this a little bit more, for the Jews who were reading this, the idea of being a priest would be radical for them. Now, originally, when God began dealing with his people, everyone was supposed to be a priest, but everyone didn't live like a priest, and so he picked the tribe of Levi to do the function of a priest. A priest is somebody who gets to come before God and serve him, represent the people, intercede for the people, sacrifice for the people. It's someone who has the ability to be close and to connect to God. Now, for them, that was a real special honored position, and you don't take it upon yourself. But what Peter is describing is what we call the universal priesthood of believers. The fact that today there are no priests who are special, they are all of us. We are all priests because of what Jesus Christ did. And every one of us has that privilege that, that Hebrews tells us to come boldly before the throne of grace. So no longer is priest something special, except it is special, but we all get to wear that mantle. We all have that. And, so, and, he said, and we all have a place. 
Now he goes into quoting some Old Testament scriptures and kind of develops this idea further. And he says in verse 5, Therefore it's also contained in the scripture, and he quotes from Isaiah 28, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, that's from Psalm 118, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Now, what he's alluding to in quoting these scriptures, in, in Jewish tradition, the rabbis told a story, and we don't know if it's factual, but it was a story that was often repeated, that when the temple was being built there in Jerusalem, as you may know, the temple was built of huge pieces of rock and honed perfectly so that they would fit together just right. And if you've ever been there to Israel, you can go down under the Temple Mount and see these stones that are the size, some of them the size of a bus, just huge. Well, they aren't native to that particular area because in, Levit in Leviticus it said that they didn't want to use any kind of hammer or chisel in the presence of the temple. And so these stones were constructed elsewhere and transported using rollers and things like that to the Temple Mount where it would be all assembled and put together. And it's just an amazing feat of engineering that they were able to accomplish that, similar to the construction of the pyramids that you see in Egypt and elsewhere. But they developed this story, and they said that at one point, the, as they were bringing the rocks in, someone brought a huge rock in, and they looked at it, and they didn't see where it fit. didn't seem to belong anywhere, and so they pushed it off to the side, and they put the rest of the building together. And when they finally finished, there was one piece that was missing, and that was the cornerstone, the most important keystone that you would slide in, and it holds everything else in place. And so they sent down to the quarry and said, okay, we're ready for the cornerstone. And they said, well, we sent the cornerstone already. And they said, you're kidding, where is it? And they looked around, and this stone that had been pushed off to the side, it had actually fallen down the side of the Temple Mount, and then they found it, and they're like, oh, man. And they, so they were able to pulley it and everything and bring it up and slide it in, and it fit perfectly, and the temple was finished. So the Jews would tell that story, and the prophecies identify Jesus as being that peace, being that one who was rejected, and yet he was the main deal. And again, Jesus comes and presents himself as Messiah, and the people who should have accepted him rejected him. They were looking for someone else to do the job. And so Peter is using that whole picture, that whole illustration, and these scriptures to, to point out the fact that Jesus Christ was rejected when he was the key piece. He was the anchor piece. He was the cornerstone. He was that which would slide in. And what does that have to do with us? We, too, are living stones who have a place in his building. And what Peter is pointing out is, you're in good company if you're feeling rejected. You're in good company if you're feeling like people have been telling you that you don't have a place, that they've tossed you aside, that you feel 
that, man, I don't know if my life's ever going to come together. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get the right job. I don't know if I'll ever meet the right person for a relationship. I won't. And he says, Jesus knows what that feels like, but he said, he has a place for you. When the time's right, you'll slide into that place and you get to be a part of something hugely significant. And so, again, almost with the idea that rejection will come before value. Rejection followed by preciousness. And so we see this pattern certainly in the life of Jesus, and it was prophesied so. And so also in our lives, sometimes we'll discover that same phenomena, that same tendency that when people take a vote, they decide we aren't worth anything. And we will sometimes be marginalized and wounded and mistreated. And all of that happens. But in that, even in that, we are connecting with our Savior. And how much more of a privilege it is, rather than just to be like a spoiled child who is always treated like a king, how much do we benefit because of those hard times in our lives, because of those times when we realize what life costs and how it hurts, and then when we see God working in our lives and we see what he says about us and how he sees us, the impact of his grace, it's that much more special because of its contrast. And then he goes on and he says, and well, and he talks about the stumbling and the rock of offense. See, either you see who Jesus is as the, as the key stone, or you'll trip over him. And that's something important for us to understand, even as I mentioned in John 15, where Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. People trip over who Jesus is if they don't let him be who he is. And they will trip over you as well. There are going to be people who see God in you, and that trips them out, and therefore they stumble even on who you are. Now, not everyone, but sometimes people just hate you and reject you because of Jesus in you, and that happened. It happened with the nation of Israel. But then in verse 9, he says, But you, you're a chosen generation. You people who have given your lives to Jesus Christ, he chose you. He has a plan for your life. Not only that, you're a royal priesthood. Earlier, he said that you're a priest and you get to offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And that's cool enough. And you know, a sacrifice that's acceptable to God, there are a lot of them that the Bible talks about. You know, over in Romans 12, uh, the first couple verses, where it says, it talks about, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you'd present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So God accepts us when we offer ourselves. The Bible also talks about the sacrifices of praise, about how when we praise God, that's offering something to him that he accepts. It talks about prayer in conjunction with sacrifices as well. It also talks about giving. 
financially and investing in what God is doing as being a sacrifice that he accepts. And, and giving your time for others and giving your time for the work of Christ as also being a sacrifice. So all of that is acceptable, but he says not only are you priests, you're royalty as well. You're part of the royal family because of your connection to him. Now, in, in Jewish history, basically you couldn't mix royalty with priesthood because the priests came from the line of Levi and the kings came, from, came out of, after David. They had to be descendants of David. And, and so, you know, you have two different tribes, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Levi. There was in the Old Testament one uh, man named Melchizedek who before the Levites ever came along at the time of Abraham, he was said to be a priest and a king. And he was probably either Jesus appearing in the Old Testament or a type of Jesus. Jesus is a prophet, priest, and king. But he lets us know, you are kings and queens and priests. That's pretty special. And that's what we're chosen for. And then he says, you're his own special people. The, that's, the best translation of that would be, you are people of his own. The old King James translated it, you're a peculiar people. But the word peculiar means something different today than it meant in the, in the Middle Ages. And um, there were some people who thought that that was why Christians ought to be as weird as they could be. Um, but the idea is, you belong just to him. You are a special part of who he is. He has accepted you. And, and then he says, so you can proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The difference that God wants to make in our lives is like day and night. What we were before we discovered him, when we discovered that he accepted us, when before we were living in rejection, it was like we were in the dark. But he says, now you've come into the light. And then he says, not only that, you once were not even a people. You didn't even have a national identity or anything. But now you're the people of God. You have in common that connection that everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ has. And you had not obtained mercy. You just couldn't get a break. But now you've obtained mercy. And so Peter here is just saying, look, understand this. Rejection is a part of life. Because people reject what God has done for them, they then ultimately will reject his people. And so you will grow up and be rejected over and over again. And you'll feel like that's just going to destroy you. And it can either make you bitter or you can come to a place where you realize there is someone who was rejected even more than you have ever been rejected. And he understands. And he looks at you and says, I am incredibly valuable and I value you. I chose you. I have a plan for your life. I'm going to slide you into a spot. There's a niche for you whereby you are going to be a part of something magnificent. The building that God is making. You know, back 
when Jesus was with his disciples at one point, and Peter would certainly remember this and probably was reflecting on it as he wrote this chapter. Um, Jesus was asking the people, who, who do people say I am? And they were throwing out different answers. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter came up with the right answer. He said, you're the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And he said, you know, your name is Peter. He made his name Peter, which the, the word there for Peter is the word for a small rock. But he said, and upon this large rock, a related word, but this cliff, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Now the Roman church came to the conclusion that Peter was the rock, that he was the foundation, that he was the cornerstone of the building that would be the church that God would build. But Peter would have laughed at such a notion. Peter would say, hey, yeah, he's going to build a church, the gates of hell won't prevail against it, but the cornerstone that it's built on is Jesus himself. And when we understand that, when we realize what we're a part of, then the first thing that happens is all of the rejection that we've experienced in our lives, although it hurts, and it always will, yet we have something to contrast it with. And we realize that the way God typically works in life is to find rejects and then to infuse life and value into them. As Paul said over in 1 Corinthians, he said when God was building the church, he chose not many wise men, not many nobles. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God just finds great delight in finding things that are rejected by others. And he says, wait till you see what I can do with that. And so Peter is just saying, you guys, you're rejected. Jesus was too. I understand that. But you need to know that it's time for you to reject the rejection. It's time for you to say, I'm acting like a reject because I feel rejected. But you know what? If I'm not rejected, I am going to reject that kind of behavior that denigrates myself, that denigrates others, that I want to live a life of integrity and nobility and, and pride in who God is and seeing my identity in Him and that transforming me from rejected to precious, from darkness to light. And that happens as we read His Word and we taste His grace and we understand the plan that He has for us, the love that He has for us, and the great blessing of who we are because of who he is and what he has done. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this truth. Peter shares it in a way that's really unique and helpful for us because he was a guy who was so close to Jesus. And he had so many ups and downs. And yet at this point, he was just wanting people to understand how blessed we are because of what you've done for us, God. I pray that for everyone here who is living with the pain of rejection today, that you'd help them to know that you get it, that you understand. And Lord, more than that, I pray that you would just give them a taste of your grace, 
Help them to know how blessed and valuable they are to you, that they are your special people, and that you have looked on each of us and made the assessment that we are precious. So Lord, help us to walk in that victory. Help us not to live like rejected people live. Help us to turn our backs on those kinds of behaviors that came out of not feeling good enough. And help us to walk in the freedom of your love and your forgiveness. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for making us free and yet allowing us to be dependent on you as our Lord, as our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.